Hey everybody, welcome to this week's sermon. Here are Muriel and I sitting on these stools, which usually means it's going to be a vignette, but it's not a vignette. Actually, we're doing something that we've done on and off for a couple of years, which is a question and answer session. Uh, in our live services, people will just ask them off the floor from the pews, and uh, I'm the one uh, on the service this weekend, so I'll do my best to answer them, uh, or maybe ask questions back in return. And here for this uh, pre-recorded one, we uh, put it out on Facebook and also asked like our council, worship and music team, call team to share questions. We ended up with more questions than we could possibly get through. So if you submitted one, thank you so very much. Uh, we'll get to as many of them as we can in 15 minutes and we'll see where it takes us. But this is the type of thing pastors love to talk about. So if you have questions that we do not cover in uh, today's message, uh, text us, email us, call us. We love to just uh, email about stuff, get together for coffee, and we will talk Bible theology, weather, politics, uh, building construction, anything, <laughs> anything you, road traffic situations, whatever you want to talk about, we'll be happy to talk about it. So that's actually the parameters for the questions. It can really be anything. Obviously, we're a church, and so we, people can start with Bible theology stuff, but really anything they wanted to ask about, they could ask. So with that... Muriel's going to pour through the questions and ask as many as she can, and I will try and answer them like in one-minute increments. Here we go. We've got a nice variety of questions, but we'll give you a softball one to start. Oh, good, thanks. What is your favorite church season and why? Oh, favorite church season? Um, oh, I think it would have to be it would have to be just Advent because I love Christmas. Remember, everybody knows that my middle, not everybody, but many people know my middle name is Rudolph. So I've always loved Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I love snow love anything related to Christmas. So Advent leads into all of that, plus the color for the season is blue. I love blue, so uh, I don't know if that's a good theological reason, but uh, actually it's all about hope, too, so that part of it I really... <laughs> Way to slide in that. I yeah, one color. little bit of theology. All right, thanks for the softball. Give me... Step it up one notch. Yeah, well, there's several questions about um, sacraments and communion. I'll kind of smush them together. Okay. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's different views on communion depending on the religion. So what are the different views? Okay. Um, well, there, you're, whoever asked is correct. There's a, quite a broad spectrum of views. Uh, I think that it comes down to uh, a bit of a debate as to whether the actual elements, the bread and the wine, remain bread and wine or do they physically become the body and blood of Christ? That would be the perspective of the uh, Catholic tradition and they remain the body and blood of Christ uh, uh, after the mass uh, is, is served. Uh, in our tradition, they do kind of become the, body, the body and blood of Christ but no longer remain that uh, once the meal's over. Uh, I, I would think in your United Church of Christ tradition, uh, they are symbolic of the blood and wine, but not actually uh, uh, physically becoming it. I personally, and I think a lot of pastors believe this, I mean, the meal's a mystery. It's God's grace towards us. Uh, I think probably the church has spent too much time trying to explain a mystery when we should just appreciate that somehow Jesus is really present in the meal and Jesus is really present in the people who share the meal goes with us out into the world. I think that's the important thing, not the physical transformation of the elements, in my opinion. <laughs> well, we value your opinion. Very All of much. this is in oh, my a, opinion. A sacrament follow-up. What sacraments okay. do Lutherans not believe in? Oh, well, um, 
the tradition, I think, with the most sacraments would be Catholicism. And so they would, in addition to our two, baptism and communion, they would also have, what, confirmation, uh, sacrament of the sick, uh, ordination, marriage, and, oh shoot, I missed an obvious one. Um, oh, con uh, absolution and contrition. So uh, the, the reason we only have two is that Martin Luther at the time of the Reformation really felt that a sacrament needed to be something specifically instituted by Christ and unique to the Christian tradition. So for example, as important as marriage is, it's not unique to the Christian tradition and Jesus did nothing to institute that. So we would call that a rite, an R-I-T-E, as opposed to a sacrament. Well, I'll continue with this Lutheran and Catholicism okay. and then for one more and then we can really switch gears. There's one question about aliens, so I'll slide that in at some point. But the next one is- Oh, wait, it occurs to me, are we doing this through the switcher? They should be able to pick. Do you think they can be picking can this up? Can you guys hear us pretty well? <laughs> oh, so. Okay, we'll keep I going. I think we're close enough to do okay. it. Okay. Um, this person has a friend who's Catholic. Yeah. And they've said they have an issue with the concept of being saved by grace because it kind of feels like it doesn't matter how you live or, or yeah. what you do. Your actions don't matter. What What is a good response to that? Well, I mean, I think that is a good response. Uh, again, I... I there's this tendency to make things either or or this, you know... Uh, bipolar, for lack of a better way, uh, way of thinking about things. I would think it's always in the middle. At the time of the Reformation, everybody got pushed to the extremes, and so Luther was kind of in the position of saying, you know, we're saved exclusively by grace. The Catholic Church increasingly said, no, you're saved only by your works. Um, I think, you know, when you read the Gospels as a whole, they stress both, and it probably is both. Uh, I guess to me, I always think the distinction is that God, God is unconditionally loving and gracious, but that does not absolve us from being responsible, uh, ethical, moral creatures. And uh, perhaps God doesn't hold us accountable, but we should hold ourselves accountable. And I think that's very true to a lot of Jesus's parables. That's a nice way to say it. Um, well, that's been kind of comparing Lutherans to other denominations. There's also a question about comparing unity to other ELCA Lutherans. That's the brand of Lutheran that we are. Hmm. So I mean, that, and, that's and the question. Is, and, how, and does in unity, particular? how does unity compare to other churches in the ELCA generally or in the Midwest? It's been interesting to learn how our pastoral team is structured differently than most churches. Are there other notable differences? <laughs> Interesting question. Um, you know, it's it's hard to know for sure the answer to that question. Um, uh, for one thing, ELCA churches, I think, very widely in both the Midwest and around the country. It's a nationwide denomination with, at this point, 9,000-some congregations, uh, fifteen or 16,000 pastors. So you get a lot of variety within the ELCA. I've often thought that's one of the, one of the things that is almost detrimental at this point to us as a denomination. In other words, we don't have anything that kind of uh, uh, makes our, in a sense, brand uh, distinguishable from other churches. We probably should have uh, something that's common across our churches, but we don't, and that can be an advantage at times too. Uh, in answer to the question, are the things different about this place than others? Um, 
I think in general we have, yeah, I, I think a lot of churches our size and larger go with a very small leadership team. In other words, a small council of five to seven people. Uh, and so uh, direction is set by a small number of people who aren't necessarily engaged in uh, the, the operational ministries of the church. We've been real intentional about having a large council and, and the people on that council all are responsible for a team that, that leads one part of our ministry. It's more work, takes more time and more people, uh, but as a result, we feel like there's much better ownership of what we do and much better wisdom from the membership as a whole because that many more people are involved in leadership. Another thing which I think drives everybody a little bit crazy at least once a year is, is we have a much larger quorum for our annual meeting than most congregations do. Most congregations have a quorum like the third the size of our congregation. But again, to me, it's super healthy that we expect of ourselves more people to be engaged in knowing what's going on and making decisions. I think as long as we can hold on to a large quorum, it will be better and healthier for us as a whole. They had mentioned how our pastoral team is structured differently but how is it structured differently? Well, I think it's structured differently in that we've tried really hard to be a team and we've tried really hard not to have a lead person but amongst us to, to reach directions by consensus and to make sure that, we're, that we all have been involved in every aspect of the ministry here. Again, it's more time consuming, certainly has required a greater investment uh, amongst the three of us both in the ministries and in um, being able to work with and trust each other. But uh, the great strength of it is that you do have pastors that know the ministry of the entire congregation as opposed to just a silo. Uh, and, it, and it also means that, that we're, I think, more creatively challenged and more creatively satisfied. I think it's one of the reasons all of us have stayed as long as we have. More interesting. To For try, sure. I mean, dabble, try, try. Is that a relatively fair answer? I mean, For me, yeah. yeah, yeah. Let's see. Should we go into some theology? Sure. Yeah, I wish I could ask you what you wanted to hear next, but we can't. So no, you're just going to get to listen. See the the thought bubbles uh, over their heads. Um, let's see. How are we doing on time? Mm, we've got. Well, as you we keep asking that, questions. I think we so got this like is six also, this is a theology got five one, But this is also one that separates different churches even within the Lutheran, even within ELCA. Is it a sin to be gay, bisexual, transgender, etc.? Uh, in the ELCA, we would say no. We would say that everyone's uh, sexuality and gender is a gift from God. Everybody falls somewhere on a massive continuum. Uh, and nobody's static within that continuum. Um, I think uh, uh, people move a lot over the course of their lifetimes, and I, I think they always have. I, I think it's more noticeable now, or maybe gets more PR than it used to get, but uh, I think that's always been a part of the human condition. Uh, there's a part of the Christian tradition, fundamentalism, which would read selected verses of the Bible and use, use those to say, uh, well, this is a sin and that isn't a sin. Um, Frequently, uh, those verses are taken out of context, and I think they are taken uh, for sure out of the larger context of a scriptural tradition uh, that believes in uh, debate around difficult issues, the guidance of the Spirit in discerning those issues, and constantly protecting those who are pushed aside by the larger society. Few issues are, are uh, few communities have been more pushed aside than 
uh, trans, bi, gay, lesbian people in the society, and and I can't, I, I honestly can't think of many communities that would be more embraced by Jesus in our tradition than that. And it's not because they're sinners; it's because uh, their talents of other bi has been wasted by the faith community and should be embraced and included. Is that strong enough? Because I mean, I think all of us on this leadership team would believe that deeply and. It, 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 it just kind of grieves me to think that, that you would say somebody's a sin because of who they are. Okay, we're entering our home stretch. Okay. And you're also entering your home stretch of ministry in this place. We have a couple questions around that. Um, one was, so several years ago, you were a candidate for the office of bishop that's for a, the synod. That's a long time ago at this point, but keep going. What year was it? Uh, 2008. 2008, okay. So do you ever reflect on what if I had been uh, quite a bit, actually. I, I think maybe this is a gratuitous cheap shot, but I, I feel like most people who end up being elected bishop want to be bishop. I didn't want to be bishop, but I, I was very aware of all sorts of impending uh, problems that, the, that our churches were going to face, particularly too many churches and lack of investment in kind of a common sense of mission and purpose in the area, uh, that you could just see problems coming and uh, I really felt like I had a good set of skills to, to contribute to, to changing that and anticipating that. Um, the timing wasn't right uh, at the point I ran, and I'm, I'm not sure the timing has ever been right since then, so I don't really regret not having run since then. But I really do wish I would have been elected then. I, I would have loved to have had a chance to impact uh, how our Senate approaches things. Uh, on the other hand, I have uh, never regretted having more time together with this congregation out of which since then has come Unity, Muriel Otto, so many of you, uh, all of which has been nothing but a positive. What year was the bishop elected? Uh, the primary time I ran was in 2008. So I ran again in 2009 because the person elected in 2008 immediately resigned, which just kind of adds to the irony of the whole situation, but we digress. Well, Keep I, asking I questions. I, for one, am glad that uh, you were still here for me to overlap with. Uh, me too. It is cool to look back. Um, all right, of all the things you have accomplished in your time at Unity, what's one, what? one that you're proud of? Um, uh, it's, it's not coach speak to say that everything that gets accomplished here gets accomplished by groups of people and by the Holy Spirit. Um, I, I, I think, um, Probably our confirmation program, that, that's something that came in with me and which you know, morphed through the, the talents and additions of so many people on our staff and tons and tons of parents and kids who made that program constantly evolve. So I'm proud of that. And uh, honestly, of all of our servant partnerships, uh, the moment where I got to work, walk into the computer lab in Rotelia Grande, El Salvador, uh, was amazing because I think that has been a great blessing to that community. They didn't exactly know that they wanted to do that. It's one of the few things we really pushed them to do, and I think they're glad we did, and I'm glad we did. So that's so just walking yeah. through those doors. Yeah, and not just because of the air conditioning. Yeah. All right. One last question. It's the one place that's just because it's so weird, and I really want to know who wrote this. Okay. Very cool that you did. Does the possibility of extraterrestrials have any negative implications for the Christian faith? 
Well, I've, I've, that's, I've heard that before because people feel like, you know, if it's not all centered on this world and if there are other forms of life, it somehow diminishes our encounter with God and maybe invalidates that God even exists. Um, I, to me, it's, it's a, uh, no, it, it doesn't, I don't think it diminishes at all. I think it actually possibly increases kind of the grandeur and amazingness of God that God would choose to create different life in different places. And, and could somehow keep track of it all. Uh, I guess I don't need God to be a super personal God. I need a God to have created a structure and who also taught us how to love each other. And I think that to me is the core of the faith we're a part of, uh, whether that's uh, universalized literally to the entire cosmos or just uh, earthalized to our one planet. Whatever it is, it is. Jesus will show us how to love and serve whatever beings are out there. I think you're out of time. Wow. Hey, everybody. Thanks very much, Muriel, for sorting your way through all those questions. Thanks to all the people who sent them in. We did not get to them all. I apologize for that. Uh, but maybe maybe I'll write some answers to them, and we can at least post them uh, so that if you ask a question, you get an answer at some point. Uh, always be a person who asks questions. Faith always gets better when we ask questions and we kind of wrestle through it together. Thanks for being a part of it. Three, two, one. Done! Done.